subject for the evening talk is a situational life. Some of us, and I would uh, describe myself in this way as well, tend in our life to um, rather enjoy, um, so to speak, wearing different hats. And I'm not speaking um, literally (laughs) here. (laughs) Certainly not the Green Berets, anyway. And, um, (laughs) And what that means is that that when there is some uh, uh, diversity of various uh, interests in one's life, one enjoys to explore and uh, investigate and learn and discover through various uh, interests that one has. And so, if I may uh, just speak for myself for a moment, of course, uh, spirituality, meditation, being a, a small uh, servant of the Dharma, one area and other areas which relate to that would be a certain environmental, political peace awareness and taking photographs and writing poems and being a parent and being uh, on the road and being at home, etc., etc. And all of this one uh, might describe as uh, some uh, way of being in life with some diversity of interest. And I'm sure that a number of you sitting here, when in a rather equal way, look at your life, would uh, perhaps describe yourself in the same way. And in the green political movement, which I think relates uh, to what I'm trying to say here, is that there is much concern about centralization. And that can show itself, of course, in the most um, outer and perhaps concentrated forms of um, national uh, government and its ability to be consistently the spider in the web, so to speak, and all the influences and controls that it extends uh, far and wide. It can show itself, too, in the corporate world as well, where there's often a person or a board of directors who is at the top and their views, their values, their ethics or lack of them can tend to penetrate right through the uh, corporation itself. It can show itself in the religious life, of course, with strong hierarchical figures, sometimes a central authority who is at the top and others are expected to submit and be devoted to that set of beliefs and the centralized authority. So we see in many areas of our uh, way of being in the world in relationship to other people, there is quite often this strong um, um, emphasis on the uh, centralized situation. And I think that also, if I may say, um, also tends to reflect a great deal in our life in, in fact, the way that we relate to our life. And instead of a situational life, which I'll try to explain in a moment or two, I think too easily and too frequently it's become 
a centralized life. And a centralized life instead of a decentralized life is, is where we put all, uh, much of our knowledge, our skills, our expertise into one particular field, often called work. And that, that as it were, too easily for us is at the top of our hierarchy, not for everybody, of considerations that that's what matters most, that's where we measure ourselves, where we determine uh, our self-worth and our whole concept of time and future can very much, very easily be associated around the centralized theme of work. Of course, other areas may have a parity with that and a common one which is, must be considered and very close to that would be a relationship as well. Again, a centralized view of a particular form, tremendous investment, emotion and knowledge and time and much of who we imagine we are and think we are relates and connects around these two particular fields. And when they matter to such a priority in our life, it's, it's as though we have made a hierarchy. These two, or one of these two, is at the top of the pyramid, and everything else is, in a way, is subservient to this centralized view of life. And the centralized view of life, of course, is the centering of self, self-interest, I, egotism, pivoting on these two. And this reflects very much, of course, in the rhythm of our daily life, in simple things of what we choose to speak about with our friends, what we are consistently thinking about. All is a kind of manifestation that somehow or other we've got these two things, relationship, whoever that relationship may be with, and work, or sometimes study as a step into work, as the priorities of life. This emphasis on this, we are here to explode. Nothing less than that explode it. Because it's a great tragedy in life for human beings, for all of us, if somehow or other that's all that we see and then other things which we engage in, as it were, we try to fit in as some kind of extra, some kind of holiday, some kind of uh, peripheral activity because the real thing of life, or what we imagine, is these two. How are we going to pierce through this bubble that we have placed ourselves in, in, in such, such a way that, that for some people can even feel incredibly guilty about moving outside one or both of these two restricted fields? I haven't got time. Because the pressures around, emotional pressures, financial pressures and others, tend to 
lock people into such a, a system, a belief system, in a way, as much as we may despair of other belief systems and the destructiveness that takes place, sometimes we can find ourselves despairing of being so tightly wrapped up in these two. That somewhere at times in the sheer number of hours that people are working or studying or, or, or caught up in pains of relationship, that sometimes in the thick of all of this, we sense something inside of us, sense this isn't right, something's wrong. And then we talk to ourselves and we talk to others about trying in the midst of the thrust of these things to find some kind of balance in our life. And then the concept balance becomes a kind of key term to f in which, which is another way of saying I want to be less caught up and tied into this and I want to have a, some different order and a greater sense of equilibrium in my life. If one does, then the hierarchical model, the pivotal peaking of priorities will have to change. What will change it? Sometimes it seems that it can't be changed. It can't be changed because one is working, as an example, 40 hours uh, a week or more, and then when one looks at one's day-to-day -day life, it seems like there's nothing else left except to recover from the 40 hours or more a week. And that, that the, the, the week weekend is simply a period of time of gaining relief from that particular situation. And we go through our life, working, 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 a slight bit of relief, and then back, as it were, to the grindstone, and it recycles, it becomes a kind of situational life, and we think, somehow or other, wherever I am, whatever I am doing, this scenario is fixed. There doesn't appear to be any alternative to it, and sometimes we find ourselves escaping, inwardly or outwardly, escaping into expressions of imagination, which say to ourselves, wouldn't it be nice if? How nice it would be if I could. And sometimes we imagine that money would be, if we had enough money, it would be the answer to a decentralized life. <laughs> Where is the evidence for it? Does one want to go and live in one of those gross, huge houses? with the electric wires and the German shepherd dogs and the burger arm systems. Built-in prisons of opulence. It's a tragedy. If I want to pursue a, a life of, of, of having super expensive cars and all those other uh, symbols of uh, inner poverty, I made a comment on this once, I may add, some years ago. <laughs> and um, I, the, the unfortunate thing was I actually referred to two particular cars. <laughs> and um, 
And uh, one, one was a Cadillac and the other was a Porsche. And I gave a talk expressing my concern about this preoccupation with uh, these uh, buying and owning and flashing these expensive cars. And someone came up to me after the talk and said to me, uh, uh, Christopher, I just think you ought to know that on this retreat there is a Porsche in the parking lot over the back and the Cadillac too. And he said, the reason I want to tell you is, he says, because I think your donation at the end of the retreat just went down by half. So sometimes in our perceiving of what uh, we build up and the centralizing of things and the, and the uh, way that we do that, it, it, we get a fixed idea, money being one of the fixed ideas in life, of that being some kind of vehicle for something else. And the imagination can run riot in the if-only mode. And I say we have to look in... in, in Fresh ways all, all together. Fresh ways, could one, with, in, if one looks at one's life and says, the actualities of my life, the actualities of my life appear to be such that I, I acknowledge and I appreciate essentially what I'm doing. I appreciate my commitments to my friends, my family, my home, I feel the work that I'm doing isn't uh, abusive or destructive or uh, harmful, that the kind of leisure activities that I take are, are not um, exploiting other uh, people and not um, desecrating life, that when I look at the totality of my life, whoever I am, I feel that essentially that the, from, um, as it were, Monday to Sunday, I'm not living a life which has any intentional abuse to it, of oneself or others. And also, in the course of that, I feel that that itself doesn't have to change. Itself doesn't have to change. Yet there are still difficulties in it, there's still suffering in it. Therefore, is it such that the relationship to these activities has to change. And sometimes, as I mentioned, we think of balance, we think of organizing our days a bit better. All of that, in fact, can have a certain usefulness as a situational relationship. But I just wonder whether or not the whole construction of the mind in day-to-day -day life, the whole package of it itself, has to be ruthlessly examined that the very concept in life of work itself works against. That to engage in work, in the, in the, in the very this awful four-letter word which one has built up in time, that could one conceive of being in this world experientially without work? One doesn't think one is working doesn't have that relationship life, that feeling in life, that uh, 
interpretation of existence, one has essentially, without changing anything on the outside, stopped work. And never to go back to it. Because it's a nightmare. What would that mean? That one looks at 9am on a Monday morning and no idea of going to work. Coming to the end of the week, whatever the day that one finishes at the end of the week, for some there's never an end to the week, it's another tragedy. That, that this build up and the structure, the mental formation, as the Buddha spoke so frequently of, that, that one has dissolved it. Therefore, the feeling element is changing in the participation in things. No work. No work, no leisure. Something, another way of looking into things. So sometimes we imagine, we think, we live with the curse, in a way, of the if-only mind. And as we were hearing this afternoon in the inquiry period, and I'm sure one person's voice at that time was speaking on behalf of a number of other people in the hall here, where a situation in a particular uh, uh, environment can be difficult, troublesome, confusing, conflicting, or there's some dissatisfaction which keeps repeating itself, and in some way or other, the if-only mind comes in and it says, as many of you will be thinking during the days, if only I was in this situation, if only I had this job, if only things were like this for me, it would be better. And certainly, of course, in being as realistic as possible, at times those changes do make a valuable and worthwhile difference. And one is glad that one has made a shift from, in this case, one kind of work to another, or some kind, one uh, relationship to another. But I just wonder whether it still perpetuates something. It still perpetuates a belief which conditions and governs and centralizes our life because we just haven't examined and probed deeply enough into the whole concept and emotion which goes with the concept of work, of relationship, of commitment, of balance. And there's a bubble in all of that. There's a, a congealing of the mind in and around and through all of that. And I say, we're here to break out of that. But it uses a uh, lovely, lovely analogy to uh, describe this. He said, it's like a person who, like a, a chicken, um, um, living uh, in an egg. And there's a natural thrust of things, and that egg shell begins to break and to come out of that shell. And as, as I say, we, in that respect, end or find ourselves in that situation, what will break the shell? What, what, will, what will move inside of us so that we look situationally at things quite 
differently. What would be the boldest way for you in your life, for us in our life, to look completely afresh as though you had just found your way onto this earth today <coughs> living a, situ <coughs> me, a situational life and yet it was totally new to you and you had no concept of it. You had no concept of work and relationship and all that package that goes with it. How would you then look at things? How would you go into your place, your, your environment? So sometimes when we, we think of breaking away from the old and breaking out of the old, we think of uh, uh, letting go or whatever. We think of moving on. And these themes and concepts which are familiar to us in the spiritual life. Sometimes we take it a bit too much on the external. And the person comes and participates in a retreat and spends time here. And then one may have said to oneself, gee, it's really nice being on retreat, you know, perhaps I should uh, do a long personal retreat or uh, go on the staff or uh, move out of the city, it's so nice being in the countryside or whatever. And lots of these uh, thoughts uh, circulate uh, tenaciously in rooms like this uh, here and uh, other parts of the world. And we know that these uh, thoughts and the pleasantness of the idea and sometimes the pleasantness of the idea extends further of going to India, to uh, Thailand or even to shaving one's head and taking ordination and or living a homeless uh, life for several years or it can be kind of attractive ideas which can um, circulate um, amidst these kind of environments. And some people, and some of you in this hall, I, I know well, of course, uh, have decided to make such steps and make such decisions and have um, broken out of the old in that fairly obvious way. And I say, and I've always said that is one's uh, uh, right to do that. And of course, one of the historical precedents of doing that, though he got some flack for it, as uh, Gautama Siddhartha. And sometimes people have uh, said to me, well, you know, why did he left Yashodara, his lovely uh, wife, uh, Rahula, his uh, son, who was only uh, uh, a week old and went off on this spiritual search and abandoned his duty, his dharma, his responsibilities, and, and all that was expected of him by... Uh, uh, the nation-state, by the family, etc. But my response to that has been, and always be, will be, of course, the most uh, self-evident one, this was Gautama Siddhartha, this was not an enlightened mind, this was not the Buddha, this was somebody who was confused, anxious, despairing, not knowing what to do with his life, feeling trapped, and stuck, and in such a, a turmoil, he split, essentially. 
this is a, a contemporary interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> and others, as I say, have made des um, decisions not necessarily based on um, um, pain and uh, conflict and confusion, but in, in the passion and love of spirituality in a particular way, in a particular time, have made those steps and have made those leaps. And that's an obvious expression, outer expression, of breaking away from the old and from the familiar and overtly moving into a whole new uh, area and dimension of life, a different kind of situational life, wherever and whatever uh, that, may, that may be. And a number of you know uh, and familiar with that. But I do repeat, it is one expression of change, of breaking out of the old. The same applies in precisely the same way for somebody who lives in the same city, in the same apartment, with the same job and the same marriage for the entirety, entirety of his, her, their existence, the same principle still applies to be a free human being is to break out of the old as the chicken breaks out of its shell. There's no difference in the spirit of things. What is that breaking out? Yet outwardly nothing has changed. Therefore there is no assumption of continuity of the old because one is here to dissolve the formations of existence which one calls one's life. Nothing less than the ending, as the old text says, of name and form. The cessation of name and form. Name meanings, one's name, one's identity, one's role, one's the accumulations, that all go with it. Yet, I say again, outwardly, nothing has changed. But inside, the change has dissolved all that gave the idea of living a fixed life. Freedom from the notion of a fixed life. And one doesn't have to step out of one's apartment for that realization. So, again, we have and we experience what we call situational life. And all the activities and roles that take place with it. And though in these talks, as well as with the inquiry of talks, of course, as well, that many, many times I end up raising the questions and it seems my uh, lot in life is to raise far more questions than I could ever possibly hope to answer. And yet there's some confidence and trust that the actual raising of the questions and hopefully each person being a little bit at least stimulated by the questions, it forces us, hopefully, in some way or other to have the faith, which is always spiritual life comes to, have the faith to question 
even that which seems the most obvious. If it's obvious, it's definitely worth questioning. And work and relationship and fixed forms and set timetables, all of that is outer. It can change in perception dramatically to the w in a way which one is able to say it with hand on heart, I live an unfixed life. Life is unfixed, the truth of things is uh, unfixed and one can discover what that means and therefore the ending of fixation which is the ending of name and form without anything going on that anybody else would ever know. They wouldn't see, you see, oh, at the same job for 40 years. One has been in the same relationship for 40 years, which these days borders on the miraculous. And one doesn't feel fixed. One doesn't feel stuck. One doesn't feel bound. One doesn't feel in any way whatsoever to be anything remotely near to being a chicken in a shell. Let's say the teachings of contemplative life, facing things, not just going on the assumptions. These things matter a great deal. So that at times when you are sitting here meditating, when you are walking up and down meditating, when there's some reflection about your job as an example, or about your relationship as a, another one, and one has got a kind of familiar pattern of wanting to resolve it, or to find some balance with it, or to feel more comfortable with it, why not just probe and, and wonder a little bit more deeply? What is this idea that there is such a thing in this life called work? What is this idea that there is such a thing in life called a relationship or a commitment? What, 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 what's this? What's the basis of this? Where is this work? And I think, we, have, as I said before, we have genuine opportunity to explode a lot of things. And in that things, life can fall in its own place in such a way that one doesn't feel in any way to be tied into a situation. Therefore, a genuinely free life because one doesn't feel in, within bound into something. I said to myself, if I may say, years, years and years ago, and time to time, I give my, myself a reminder that in the years of uh, uh, being a servant of the Dharma and being uh, uh, on the road and doing this work, I said to myself, if the day comes, I feel resistance to this activity being with people and listening to their life stories and the work and the mutual cooperation that goes. If ever it comes and it feels like there's resistance to doing it. If ever it comes and, and feels like 
oh God, I've got to go and do yet another retreat. <laughs> just, 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 you know, for some of you, when you come here and just here for seven days, what about people like me? Months, <laughs> months in retreat, etc. And if ever the day comes when, and, I'm, and the thinking is, oh, another retreat. Oh, another mind state to have to listen to. Oh, <laughs> oh what, what, whatever. If ever the day comes and it feels like work, then I will stop doing it. I'm no investment in doing this. So a few other things I could uh, do if I so wished. But it doesn't come. It is not, does, it's not felt like work. And I say, if, then, if someone like Christopher can realize and appreciate and acknowledge that through the, the rhythm of the, the days and the years, and this is about the, about the 260th retreat, I think, something like that, of a week or longer. So there's some experience talking uh, here to, uh, t- <laughs> to you over the last 17 years. Then, as I say, if Christopher can... Live a life in which there is the joy of not having to work. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Just takes probing and looking a little bit more deeper to explode the myth. There is no work to be found in this world. It is not a true existence. And it's a great relief. May all beings explore life. May all beings live with joy. May all beings abide in a free way. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.